Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and I am very excited to introduce you to our guest today. She is filmmaker Chris Ray. She wrote and directed the new movie, I Used to Go Here, which stars Gillian Jacobs, who you might know from the TV show Community, and Jemaine Clement, who you might know from the HBO show Flight of the Concords. Chris has written and directed a number of films over the course of her career. Most recently in 2015, she did a movie called Unexpected, which is also great. I Used to Go Here was supposed to premiere at this year's South by Southwest Festival, but because 2020 is the worst year ever, well, I don't know. I guess now you can rent it, so that's cool. Uh, I will say it is great. It's great to see you. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. I I was so excited to hear you're still teaching. Yeah, I'm still at it. Hopefully I'm better at this whole professor thing than when you were in my class. Come on, you blew everyone away that first year. You were this young writer who came out of nowhere. You were so enthusiastic. Well, I'm older now, but <laughs> thanks, Kate. That's such a that's such a big compliment. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Oh, hey, Alexis. Uh, okay, this is my wife, Alexis. You have a wife. I do. I got one about five years ago. Well, it is uh, so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. David talks about you all the time. Oh, really? No, not all the time. Chris, hello. I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. (laughs) So I used to go here is about Kate, who's a woman in her like mid 30s. She just wrote her first book. And in the first scene in this film, she finds out that the book is not selling. And so her book tour has gotten canceled. And we also find out she's dealing with a breakup. And she gets a call from her old writing professor from college who invites her to come do a reading and spend some time in Carbondale, where she went to school in Illinois. And she goes. And I don't really want to give away that much more because there's just a bunch of great stuff and um, people need to go watch it. Um, But what I love about it is how nostalgic it is, but in a really like present way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I feel like... (laughs) it's about it's about it's both about how magical your 20s can be because you're so full of expectations and excitement it's also about how disappointing your 30s can be when you get there and it's not what you think it's going to be but I feel like it also makes peace with that yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's totally what it's trying to do (laughs) so the interview's over we did it (laughs) yeah we did it great job um no yeah I mean I I mean, it's funny to hear you say that because those are the kinds of ways that I would, I think, very like inarticulately like (laughs) try to explain to people what the vibe was that I was going for. And yeah, it's like I wanted it to feel nostalgic, but I also didn't want it to feel like it took place in the past. Yeah. 
Totally. And, and in a way it is kind of like going back in time because not much has changed since, you know, in that town since she left. Um, and so, yeah, she goes back, she's able to like go back into her old house. It's like different, but it's still the same. And there's like different kids living there. God, it just feels so warm and fuzzy. And I wanted it to feel like that, but I also, you know, everybody's using cell phones and taking weed gummies and like, it's a very, you know, (laughs) it's different. It's present day. Yeah. I love, I don't know. I feel like so often nostalgia stuff can hurt because it's like, oh, it's Mm. not the same. I want Mm. it to be the same. It'll never, I can never have this again. Mm. But like this doesn't, it's just like a fun experience. It's not like painful, you know? Yeah. I think the pain that, I mean, she's certainly feeling pain, but it's not from that. Yeah. Um, It serves as an escape from, from all of the kind of realities of, yeah, being the, this person in her thirties, who's like a lot of, a lot of expectations did not come to fruition. Um, and she doesn't really know why, you know, I think mm-hmm. she's just like trying to figure out like, where did I go wrong? I followed all the rules and checked all the boxes. Like how come I, I didn't achieve what I thought I was going to achieve. So, and is the story kind of based on you visiting Carbondale after doing your other, your most recent movie before this one, Unexpected? Is that true? So it's not really based on it, but yes, I took, inspired by is probably more appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, I took it. I did take a trip down there. I did go out for beers with some college kids um, (laughs) and they did sit around and they sort of like stood around me in like a semicircle and like asked me questions and thought I was cool and laugh really loud at all of my jokes. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I could live here forever. This is great. <laughs> you know, and I do, I did, it did occur to me that that is like one of the benefits, you know, of being a cool professor in a small college town, right. Is like, and that was sort of what Jermaine Clement's uh, character was, was based on the idea of, of being this young cool like successful professor yeah yeah that like comes in and just like chills with the undergrads and um and everyone thinks that they're so cool and 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 there's something like pathetic about that (laughs) when you're looking at it from you know from an equitable like viewpoint Mm -hmm. you're sort of like oh so you choose to do and it it's funny because I'm actually I am uh, every so often I'm a professor at Northwestern University and I I I teach um yeah I'm like on the adjunct faculty and so I teach like one class every quarter every other quarter or something Mm -hmm. like that um and it was totally different dynamic. (laughs) It's like not (laughs) it's like I had like a hundred percent like not uh anything like the the world that I've, that I've created in the film. It's, (laughs) it's just like, there's so much, you know, it's just like, you just don't, you, you can't go out and drink with the undergrads. It's just like not an okay thing to do. It's like, I think it's like, literally you could get fired for it. Um, It's a little more buttoned up. Yeah. It's a little more buttoned up, but, um, but when I was in college, I think it was, it was okay. You know, and I think depending on where, where you are and what the town and the vibe and, the smallness of it all, um, you know, that exists. For sure. So I want to play a clip, and I think this is my favorite part of the movie. Just to set it up, uh, our hero, Kate, she's in Carbondale. She's out for drinks with a guy who she went to college with, who's played by Jorma Tacone of the Lonely Island crew, and he's chosen to invite a friend 
played by Kate McCucci. So here it is. So what's your book you wrote? Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, so it takes place in New England on this island off the coast of Connecticut called Manchester Island. And the main character is this guy called Calvin. And he's really wealthy, but he has this like really strained relationship with his parents because he's adopted and he's always felt out of place, you know? And um, so, okay, so anyway, every day he goes for a walk and he sits on this really specific rock. And then one day he goes there and there's this woman there and he's never seen her before, but she's beautiful and she's wild. And she, do they fuck? They actually don't. He, he loves her, of course, but the whole thing is very restrained. Yeah, I could go for a little restraint. Exactly. <laughs> so could I, but you know, people don't usually want that. They want something dramatic and exciting, bold. But I don't think that life is bold like it is in stories. I think real life is just very restrained. <laughs> and the sounds you're hearing now are them like making out on each other very intensely. One, two, three. I just love that scene so much for oh so God. many reasons. And I oh want to just God. tell you all the reasons right now. Tell me. I really want to hear the reasons. <laughs> I mean, I think the first reason is like as a person who loves books a lot and talks like and tries to describe books to people often. It's so sweet to see how genuinely enthusiastic she is about trying to tell people what the story is, but also how like it, there's just way too much detail. Like nobody needs to know. It's too much, you know, like they're not a captive audience. Yeah. She has not read the room. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And it's so charming and perfect. And, all, you know, just the irony of like talking about restraint while they end up making out next to each other. It's just like yeah. it's just perfect. Yeah. Thank you. I, that's one of my favorite I have two really favorite moments with with Gillian in this movie, and, and this is this is one of them. I, I think she just the, delivers it. It's it's so maybe it's like an ego thing or something. I don't know, but but for me, it's like she delivers it exactly the way I delivered it in my head when I wrote it, mm. and that is usually not the case. Honestly, when you when you're a writer director, is that you you have of course you wrote it all, so it's all in your voice. Mm -hmm. So you know, or at least this is my experience. I know how every single line should be delivered because I wrote it. You know, especially <laughs> if it's a comedic line, because <laughs> I'm in charge and it's mine. Um, but if it's a comedic line, often it has everything to do with the delivery, you know? And so um, sometimes it, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to relay that to someone in just with, on the page through them just reading the lines. Like um, if they get the script, they don't know automatically the exact emphasis on each word that I want and the tone and the speed and the cadence and everything. Right. So, so sometimes as a director, I'm, I'm getting a performance that I'm like, oh, that's actually way better than what I would I <laughs> imagine. And sometimes I'm like, no, it's not. Duh, do it this way, you know. And, um, that's so funny. Yeah. Speaking in the context of like expectations, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. And um, and sometimes I have to let it go. And and sometimes I, you know, very very rarely I'll say, can you just say it like this, and then I'll do it. <laughs> um, but uh, I almost never do that because it's not a cool thing to do. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, Gillian de delivered this line like exactly how I imagined it. And I just think it's so funny. And then I got 
yeah, Yorma um, Tacon from the Lonely Island to play Bradley Cooper. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> Kate McCucci, who is one of my real life, very close friends, oh. um, flew down to, to do that part. And uh, yeah, I love that scene so much. I'm so glad you played. I had no idea where you were going to play. That, that's a really great one. Um, another thing I was wondering about, I mean, it was so much fun, even in the first scene, to see, like, you filmed this in Chicago and Carbondale. Yeah. And you, like, it is it is in Chicago and Carbondale. It is mostly in Chicago. We we Is it? We, yeah. We went for, like, I think, two days to Carbondale just to shoot some exteriors. But okay, because, yeah, I saw, like, everything the bank takes place in Chicago. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I love that. So... Why not make stuff in Hollywood, Chris? <laughs> Why Chicago? I've never, I've never thought about that before. You're right. Um, <laughs> you know, there's I'll, a whole place where they do this all the time. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, there's a couple reasons. The first reason is that I live in Chicago, man, and I fucking love it. And you got to represent, <laughs> yep. right? And yep. I feel strongly about that. And I'm yeah. like, I'm always people still really feel and there's some validity to this that like if they're an up and coming like um whatever like creative that they got to move to new york or la like this is a this is a fine place as like a little incubator but then you got to leave and when you really make it you leave yeah and there's like a little bit of like a brain drain going on and and i i i want people to stay it's like it's a it's a chill city as you know there's so much i love it it's like it's affordable Mm -hmm. it's like an easy place to make a movie um and i don't know i i I, so i love chicago and i want to make stuff here um that's not to say i'm gonna make everything here for forever but i you know i'm gonna probably live here forever so this movie came out august 7th last week right What's it like to release a film during a global pandemic? Well, it was pretty sad at first. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Because <laughs> we were supposed to play at South by Southwest. And that mm-hmm. was like, if you remember, the very first thing to go. Before yeah. it felt really urgent, you know. I mean, thank God they canceled it. But at the time, I was like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> They're ruining my life. Um, but well, and how, just how frustrating to not be able to celebrate a group effort together. It it does feel, I mean, it was, it just was such a long road to make this film and it did feel a little bit like being pregnant for four years and not actually being able to give birth. (laughs) What an insane analogy. I love it. (laughs) This is coming from a person that's been pregnant twice. So I can tell you. So your your career trajectory, I think it's fair to call it scrappy, right? Mm. Yeah. I wonder, like, what advice would you give to a young Kate who is just finishing college or, you know, is still, like, looking down the pike, hasn't chosen a path yet, has super high expectations and is really excited? What would you tell a person like that? Oh, my God. I mean... <laughs> It's just, it, it just seems like you can't go wrong, you know, if you're, if you're excited and you're just like trying shit, I would say like, you know, I, at least in the creative sphere, I'm sure it's different if you want to be like an accountant or something, but <laughs> in the creative sphere, I think I, I really um, 
struggled with learning that there is no like checklist um, that you have to like mark off in order to achieve success. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think women tend to struggle with that more. Um, like I think women are often brought up to be like, just you do what they say and be a good girl and you will, you know, you'll get ahead. And, and if you're good enough, someone will tell you so and ask and choose you to do it. Yes. Thing. Someone will write you. Someone will present you with the opportunity and give you the promotion and what, and we are not taught so much to just fucking take it, to just go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in this industry and the film industry, um, for sure, I think the industry itself is very risk averse and very scared of taking chances. But what I've learned is that they're very, very, um, uh, they get very, very excited by people that do take chances. They're, they're mm-hmm. very, they're like everything is set up to just like, you know, let's put our money into the next Marvel movie because we know that people <laughs> buy tickets. Um, and, but if someone d- throws a wild card at them and if an independent filmmaker does something a little crazier that's out of the box, they respond. And, and that, you know, and, and it gets respect and it gets views and gets interest. And I think that, um, you know, I, I guess the advice I would give is just like, go for it. Like, don't, the stakes are not that high. You can always start over. Like you can always do something else. I've I've reinvented myself so many times in my life. Doing it, literally doing it right now. Um, <laughs> just literally changed my name uh, a year ago. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's it's like yeah, it's it doesn't have to be so scary. So yeah, you you were Chris Swanberg and now you're Chris Ray. How does it feel to be Chris Ray? <sighs> feels fucking great i'm like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i went through a divorce last year was obviously like incredibly tough and um a big transition for me and a name change change was a scary idea and i sort of went back especially midway through your career i feel like because that's you know like if you're Chris Swanberg and that's how you've made movies, who are right. you to not be Chris Swanberg? Yeah, that, all my movies are under that name, and I and I was afraid of that, and and got some advice from very you know lovely, well-meaning people that said keep your name, yeah, um, because that's how you built yourself, and um, I just didn't. In the end, I just didn't think it made sense, and you know, to just to talk about the name for a minute, like, I I think part of the reason I was, I was hesitant to, to um, leave Swanberg behind and is because I, my, my name that I was born with was Williams, Chris, Chris Williams, and Mm -hmm. um, my dad's name, obviously, but my parents, patriarchy. patriarchy my parents got divorced and my mom remarried and I'm not very close with my dad and um Mm. and just felt like what does this name even mean you know and and to be honest when I when I was 25 and got married um I was excited to change my name to Swanberg because I didn't want to have the the, my last name anymore I was like ready for a new beginning and ready to shed that and and um be be a part of someone else's tribe and um 
And so I was scared to go back to that. And then I realized I didn't have to go back to that name. And, um, and so I took my mother's name. So my mother's maiden name is Ray. And my mother's also Cuban, um, was born in Cuba. And so this is also my Cuban name, which feels good. That's and awesome. it just, it was a, it was a little bit of a transition for me emotionally, but I would say pretty soon I, I started feeling really good. I think it just sounds like a cool ass name. It is feel cool strong yes. and I feel good about it. And I'm just like, cool. I'm never going to change it again. This is my name. Oh, I love that so much. Chris Ray, thank you so much. It was really oh fun God, to talk with you. Thanks, about this Greta. What a pleasure. You're the best. You are, you are. <laughs> Chris Ray, what a delightful human. I Used to Go Here is available to rent on Apple and Amazon Prime, and it is great. We've got one more thing in famous heist history after the break. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. On this day in 1911, three dudes walked out of the Louvre with a little-known painting by Leonardo da Vinci. That's right. Lisa del Giocondo, a.k.a. the Mona Lisa, a.k.a. a bad bitch of art history. She was not widely known until pictures of her face were splashed across newspapers around the globe. As it turns out, one of the guys who stole the Mona Lisa was the same handyman who made her protective case, a guy named Vincenzo Perugia. I am sorry if I am butchering all of these Italian words. So Vincenzo gets away with the heist. He's sitting at home in Italy. He really wants to sell this thing. But he's seeing all this media coverage, and Lisa was just, like, way too hot to move. So after waiting more than two years, he takes the Mona Lisa to an art dealer in Florence. And the art dealer's like, hey, yeah, let me keep it here overnight to verify its authenticity. And the next thing you know, the police are knocking on Vincenzo's door. That is why we care so much about the Mona Lisa, because she got stolen that one time. Not because she's a smug bitch, even though she is, and I love that about her. And not because she's worth a lot of money now. She has like one of the most expensive insurance policies out of any art ever. All right, that's it for today. The show is produced by me with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. And thanks to the staff of NPR's All Things Considered for that Mona Lisa history. What a delightful, weird little story. All right, we'll see you next week.
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.